Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Comics Pals interview. Uh, this time around, I'm joined by a a great friend of the show, Greg Anderson LSA, and um, we we originally met back in uh, like a like a year or two ago in um, Keystone. For whatever reason, I kept thinking like Blackstone. I'm like, no, that's wrong. That's a bank. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we we got a chance to. Uh, hit it off things with with Greg, especially covering some of the the more indie creators that we had at that time. And um, your your work is none of the worst. Spider was definitely up there in that that top tier of uh, of indie indie work. And uh, you know, we definitely had to come in and give you an interview. And I absolutely wanted to have you back on the show at some point. I know we couldn't make the main show work, but this is uh, definitely a great time. So. Uh, if if you could just give yourself a, a quick introduction, um, you know who you are, what you sort of do in the space, uh, just to get everybody uh, tuned. Sure. First of all, I want to say thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back on Comics Pal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as stated, my name is Greg Anderson Elise. I'm the writer and creator of It's Not of the Web Spider, based off of the stories of a non-citizen spider from West Africa and Caribbean folklore. And a lot of my work tends to focus on a lot of black culture and using aspects of black culture, spirituality, and folktale stories, uh, mythology, as a way to sort of um, showcase a different narrative and representation of blackness that we don't commonly see in comic books and media and so on and so forth. So I want to be part of the, the movement of creating some dope black speculative fiction and i think that was like one of the things that we had we had originally like sort of talked about um especially considering that you know it was a new sort of mythology that gets introduced you know a lot of it sort of gets lost in what was the like the history of 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 the south and you don't really get to some of the the origin stories within like the origin stories you know the really really uh, folk folk tales, the 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 creation myths, and I think that was one of the the biggest attractions. Um, I know we had a great discussion about storytelling last time, especially considering Anansi is the the god of stories, and I I absolutely loved the the stories that you have been able to tell, especially the the second arc that I finally got around to reading. Um, it's 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 always interesting to to see your writing because I remember the the opening for. The first book, the the worst part of there was that joke, and I, I kind of you know I kind of like you know gave you a little a little heat for that, but but obviously it, it sort of plays into this larger narrative. So I know you have a new story coming out, is none of the worst part of Showtime, that's currently on Kickstarter. It has fifteen days left. This is the fifteenth, so it's through the thirtieth, and it it has been uh, well backed in full. So congratulations on that. How how does that feel like to be able to come back tell tell another story within this this world that you're trying to build up, um, but at the same time like what is how are you feeling? It, it, it's backed. It's over its goal almost five k. Like what are the emotions? <laughs> um, it feels good. <laughs> I was worried because uh, I felt my goal the the goal being ten ten k was a bit high. Mm. Um, so I was concerned, but it was, I needed, that's what I need to get everything paid off and, and stuff. So I was just like, I feel like I, I can make it, but it might be a bit of a, 
an uphill. So we got funded within like the first three days. And I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that. <laughs> I was not expecting that. So uh, it's helped me relax a little bit. But when you're running a Kickstarter, it's you still have some form of anxiety. You got to help hopefully try to keep that momentum. So I've been trying my best to do that, but at the same time, taking breaks. So usually when I've done Kickstarters every day, I'm involved in trying to push the word out. But because I've, I've also just been dealing with a lot of stuff on my end, especially mentally. So I've been having to take a couple of days of just not, just not even turning on the, (laughs) the tab to, to see how much I did. You know, and it's been a, a, a good refreshment, especially seeing that, okay, there's people who are still pledging. Mm-hmm. But I think there was one day where like, hardly anyone pledged, and I was just like, I'm just going to worry about it tomorrow. I'm not <laughs> Hand off the refresh button. Exactly. Um, but the story for Showtime, this story was actually written, I wanted it to come out before Volume 2 originally. Oh. So this was actually written years ago. Except um, we, I just had a couple of issues trying to find the right artist that I wanted because I wanted an artist who had the back, who had the background of being in a city in New York City in particular, where it's implied that the story takes place. Yeah, and especially, yeah, the the so the the story is about is Nana, who all the previous stories we've seen him having to battle and stop these creatures from different realms that he accidentally released, so he feels that he's responsible for it. And given that I always advertise as not as a bit of a coming of age story, I wanted to finally have him have a bit of a coming of age story where you see him finally meet a youth who are around his age and he learns how to be a kid. He learns how to have fun, but also deals with the reality of being a black kid because he's actually a spider who takes the form of a, of a black child. And we've never quite acknowledged that the reality of that so now that he's in a world hanging out with kids and you know they're having fun they're dancing in the, in the trains uh so i wanted him to experience the reality of what some of the these youth in new york city go through yeah and i, I think that was going to be one of my like my questions it was we, we do get to see him sort of enjoy his time as as a kid he's just having fun he's he's out and about he's hanging out with people he gets into break dancing like there's just there's just stuff about his character that we get to explore where previously it was about you know his relationship with Anansi and the sort of uh i guess the, the way they sort of rub on each other but here he's he's sort of he's sort of alone he's he's coming into himself is there was there any part of you in that sort of growing up story i'm not sure if you're necessarily from the city but was was um, that sort of influenced by anything in your youth um well, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn. This is hey, all right. Yeah, this is my hood. Um, I'd say more so I had I have I had a love for breakdancing. Like I've never done it myself, but I've always been in awe and, and impressed of watching people just do their craft. Mm-hmm. And I've was definitely inspired by students of mine. Uh, from a couple of years ago, I was teaching at a particular um, art program. And even though I was teaching video production, the whole program, we pretty much 
we taught a whole bunch of different arts in general. And it was like a safe space for the youth to come and enjoy them times and, and figure out what it is that they wanted to do after school, if they wanted to do fine arts, if they wanted to do video, if they wanted to do dance or sports. It, it, we just had uh, this space. And there was this group of break dancers who were there who I just fell in love with. They were just this amazing, amazing children. And they sort of inspired these characters uh, that I brought in to the story. And I wanted this book to sort of be a bit of a tribute to them and also the, the culture of Showtime, which is very common in New York City. You see a lot of the youth dancing on the trains, trying to make a couple of bucks. And it, they're slightly controversial. There's people who don't want them there because they're afraid of being hit. <laughs> but I feel as if that's it's also part of New York culture, seeing them. And I always have a blast seeing them. There's a lot of us who love Love it, and it's another aspect of Black youth culture, I felt. So given that Isnana is a celebration of Black culture and Black stories, I felt I wanted to use them as another source of Black stories with their dancing. And I think if for the city setting, it makes it makes so much sense. Like I'm, I'm born and raised in Queens, and coming into the city, that's like that's all you see. You get on the F train, you get on the E train, and then you know every once in a while, some guy comes up, claps, like, all right, showtime people, and you're like, oh, word, all right, cool. Like, like, let me, let me, like, and, and depending if you're like, you're a tourist or you're like, you know what's going on, you go find a seat so you don't necessarily aren't in the way, you know, and like you can kind of sit down and enjoy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something that is emblematic of the city and it, it has its controversy, but I mean, I feel like people have a soft spot for it. You, you have to, you know? Yeah, it's so, it's, it's been a weird during the pandemic when I'm on the train and I just don't see it happening anymore. Mm. And a part of me at the same time is sort of like, yo, I feel these people who've been trying to stop it, they won. <laughs> uh, I don't want that though. I'm hoping that, you know, cause I'm, I'm starting to realize people are getting more comfortable getting on the trains again. So a part of me, I want to see that back. And I hated the, the whole aspect of them, sort of trying to slyly criminalize it. I just felt it was very mm -hmm. weird because it was attacking black youth just for dancing, you know? And um, I wanted to sort of make a statement with that, with this issue. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's sort of like the, the crackdown on um, like all even busking and stuff, you know, people who are musicians in, in, the, in the subway stations. It's just, it, it's just part of the, the culture that's sort of, sort of trying to, if you get erased a little bit or people are trying to move past it is it's it's not the like quote-unquote appropriate thing to do in the space but i mean i it's a public it's a public form of expression especially and if, especially if it's like something as um innocent as dance it's it's an artistic expression it should it should be left alone exactly the um you mentioned hopping on the train. I so I haven't uh, ventured too far. I, I've I've been lucky enough to like be working from home. Has how has creativity during the pandemic been for you? Like, has that affected you at all? I know um, we had Tyler Chintaner on the show a few months back, and he sort of mentioned how things have been different and things have been a little difficult to sort of stay focused because you're just in the one space. Have, have you found it difficult? Uh, have you found it, you know, maybe you're like uber focused now? I don't know. It's definitely given me a lot more time to focus on. Oh, okay. A lot of, a lot of works that just been sort of backed up. Um, 
financially, it's, it's been up and down financially, but I've been able to fund uh, most of this out of pocket of this book. So, and being able to just focus on that and also work on other projects that have taken a back burner previously. Uh, for example, I have a, a book that I'm doing with TJ Sterling, who does Alchemist, um, or Alchemist, uh, his own series that he just wrapped up his Kickstarter. He's been trying to get me to sit down to work with him on this for a long time, a very long time. And I've, it's just been so difficult to get me because I'm always on the move. And so finally, when this whole pandemic happened, he was like, you ain't going nowhere. So, <laughs> so we finally, we're getting to the point where production has, you know, it's, it's definitely going. We've got the artist. The artist has done the first couple of pages. So I've been taking advantage of the pandemic and the, the creative front. You know, there's a lot of things I've been wanting to do, been able to do it. Uh, if I feel like I'm going crazy, I just go to the park and exercise and uh, spending a lot of time with family and getting to know my family a little better because I f- feel like we've always been in our own sort of thing. And yeah. now it's like we're having family time playing video games and watching uh, shows together. So it's been cool. I've, I've found myself calling people more, like actually using the phone for its express purpose, which has been interesting. Um, wait, wait, it's not just for texting? Apparently. I mean, yo, there's like a whole there's like a whole application that is dedicated to this thing called phone. That's so weird. Blew my mind. <laughs> um, um I I I did have some questions on on the art in particular for Showtime. So you were nice enough to give us a a, a proof of it. I got a chance to read it through and it's it's so much brighter than some of the stuff you've done in the past. And I, I wanted to know if that was on purpose. Um, and two, I think reading it, especially with everything that's sort of been going on, it felt really refreshing. It felt, uh, it felt warm, you know, it felt kind of like a home to come back to. And especially considering that it was the city and, you know, the city has been in such a sort of disarray. I think that that was for me personally, super just cathartic. Can can you talk to me about the, the the color choice and some of the art changes? Sure, sure. Well, so this goes back to me wanting to do a coming of age because everyone is used to already as Nana being sort of like a dark fantasy. There's a lot of creepy dark stuff that happens throughout the series. But at the same time, we have sort of short stories in uh, each volume that sort of subs- subverts that. For example, in volume one, we, we do have the, the, the creepy story of Osibo the Leopard. But at the end, we get like a, a sort of a more lighter fantasy story of his Nana as a, as a spider coming into our world. Mm-hmm. In volume two, once again, the creepy dark story. But then we have something a lot more comedic and fun at the end where he travels to the different books, uh, different realms and stuff like that. So... I've always, I'm always messing around with different genres. It's very hard for me to stay on one genre. I always find myself taking something from here, taking something from there. And it's just something that comes naturally for me. But for this particular book, I wanted to show another side of his Nana and I wanted him to have fun. So essentially that was it. I wanted him to have fun, to be a kid. And Miguel Blanco, who ended up becoming the the artist after trying to work hard to find different artists and some artists saying yes and 
having to drop out and, and some people I feel just didn't capture. I felt Miguel fit perfectly what I was looking for because he's, a, he's a, a city guy. He's lived in various cities. He knows the culture. He's very fluid. He can do an almost graffiti-ish type style and just yes. have fun with it as well. And his, his work just pops out. And I love seeing all the different elements of, of the city. You see the background. All you see is like these crazy buildings or landscapes. So you'll just see all the different types of colorful people just walking by, you know, and it's like their own little character in a sense. And that, that's the city life. And I, I felt he did an amazing job with that and, and capturing youthfulness and excitement. And Angel Davis Cooper was uh, actually recommended to me by David Brame, who's a, a regular Islana artist, because Lee Maluski, who usually does the colors, he didn't feel like he fit with Miguel's work. Really? Yeah, because uh, I love I love Lee's work tremendously mm-hmm. on Islana, and so he's always my he was always my go to colorist. Yep. But when he tried, he was just like. Greg is not working for me. That's wild. <laughs> he, that's wild. He just, yeah, he couldn't figure it out because I feel like he, he does more. The darker stuff for his Nana, is, it seems to be more of his speed. Yes, yeah. And so when I, I was looking for colorists and Angel came along and I saw she had this sort of lively, uh, this lively creativity to her artwork. And so when I contacted her and she did a test and I was like, this is her. This is who I want. And I feel she, Miguel's already on another level, but I feel like she brings it even higher with her colors. And, and it's just, it adds back the emphasis of just, of youthfulness and, and just being a kid, just having fun. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a nice sort of contrast from the previous dark stories that we're used to with his Nana. Yeah, that, that was definitely going to be my, my biggest takeaway, like especially the the backup story that you sent that, that to me looked like pure, like pure uh, marker and graffiti. And I was just like, Whoa, this is, it's such a departure, but it's such a clean, it's such a clean departure that there, none of it feels sort of dissonant with what's come in the past. It's just different stylistically and it doesn't necessarily conflict with it. I think that's definitely one of the things that I'm going for as well. So most, most of the stories have been done by different artists because I'm just a fan of variety. I love variety when it comes to artwork, when it comes to anything in life. I don't want everything to stay the same. Unless it's food. I'm very picky with food. <laughs> but everything else, I, I always like to dabble with different stuff. So when it comes to art, always messing around with different creative teams uh, to see who can match the style of storytelling, given that I, I always tend to mess around with stories as a, in a sense. So, um, And I enjoy... I enjoy seeing what people do with the interpretation of how they look at his Nana. So that's always a lot of fun. There's a, there's a moment in the book where, and you alluded to it earlier, where his Nana sort of comes across with the, the police is that's obviously something that you, you had wanted to include. And it's something that, you know, we, we typically see in, in New York city. Um, what uh, again is Nana and, Anansi and the the mythos of is not a being storytelling. What what was the outside of the 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 sort of youth of is not captured in this issue? Like what what was the the other sort of stories that you're trying to tell there, especially as it pertains to being a youth and a black youth in in New York City? 
honestly, I just wanted to showcase reality. You know, um, is Nana, even though, as I said, it's a celebration of blackness and showcasing blackness, he's never faced with anything to do with the skin tone, mm. ever. He's still new to our world. He looks at himself as a spider. So when people call him anything else, he's, he corrects them, I'm a spider. Because <laughs> that's, that's what he grew up being. Right. So the fact that he's in someone, he's, he's in a skin that is brown, that is black, that's considered black, is completely foreign to him. Because he lives with all these different animals in his world. And yes, they don't, they don't always get along. A lot of them like to eat each other, attack each other. But so when he comes here to Earth and he sees everyone with different skin tones, to him that's just, it's no different from seeing different species walking around and roaming around. Right. Uh, even though he likes, he likes his skin tone, he thinks it looks great on him, but he doesn't actually know the implications of being a black youth in America, in the city. So that's a bit of a, a wake-up call for him because this is a danger that he's never faced before. He's used to dealing with super worldly, supernatural creatures, but the fact that he's just getting attacked for the color of his skin is something that doesn't uh, quite phase him until he has that conversation with the, with the kids afterwards. And I wanted that to, I wanted readers to sort of see the reality, especially ones who aren't used to, to city life and knowing that this is actually very common to mm -hmm. see stop and frisk was a huge issue yep. for the youth. I've had so many of my students who are stopped and frisked all the time. Sometimes they'd be late and then you'd see them pissed off as to what's going on. A cop stopped them, didn't believe him, this and that, all this other stuff, you know, and I just wanted to showcase once again, the reality of it. And because there's, in my opinion, it also showcased the dangers a lot of this youth, these youth go to just for dancing, just for living, just for selling CDs. They can get attacked for something. Um, we have, once again, walking down with a hoodie and Skittles gets you shot and gets the, the killer acquitted. You know, so it's, it's just, there's so much that I wanted to, to say with this. And one thing that's also unfortunate is once again, I wrote this script years ago. Yeah. And yet, this thing is still like it still resonates. Various re reviewers who've read it told me how much it triggered them, especially because they re reminded of when they've gotten stopped, when they've seen it happen themselves. And given this whole year, going back to the whole George Floyd thing and just how much that has intensified, this whole uh, I guess the civil unrest has been going on, and it just feels as if I wrote this just to appeal to what's been going on lately, but it's like, nah, this is actually written years ago and nothing has changed whatsoever. And it still resonates to this day. And, and I think because he is, you know, he is a spider, right? I think there's an interesting spin there that, um, uh, there's an interesting spin there that he, he can't conceptualize it quite yet and you have to experience it. And I think, I think that's a lot of the, the, the issue in the conversation is that it, it sometimes has to be experienced for it to sink in. And I think that's, that's a detriment to some of the conversation that kind of happens because then it becomes, Oh, it's an, it's an, it's like an other issue. It's not, it's not something that is necessarily personal or something that is relatable. 
it's just something that happens that you can say that it's just something that happens. Yeah. And I, I think it was also very important to show Iznana himself yes. being yeah. the victim. Because I feel whenever I read or have seen stories and from comics for something whatever it was, it was usually the main character, someone who was close to the main character. Yeah, somebody like a who yeah, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, um, a child, you know, a best friend. But it's not often that we see it as the main character, especially of a fantasy story. So I, I thought it was very I wanted that to to resonate with people, for people to just be like, holy crap, the hero that I've been reading for the past couple of years, this innocent, joyful kid, you know, unfortunately, just for being who he was, has to deal with the reality of racism. I quickly want to pivot because I know that you've been watching um, Lovecraft Country. Uh I I've been thoroughly enjoying the show and I I enjoy uh Lovecrafting horror like like I I have um I have a few of his books and I, and the, the short story is there and to what you were saying earlier about how Isnana is a sort of a recontextualization of African myths and recontextualized in sort of the American and Black diaspora as a superhero uh how has that how has that show sort of affected some of the the horror elements that you've sort of perceived to come out of Lovecraft Country? Like, like what are what what are some of those those themes that you you think have been have been strongest? I'm just just curious for that perspective. Um, I'm not too sure how to answer that simply because, well, for one, I'm a huge fan of the novel. So I haven't I, read it. Oh, it's good. Yeah, I, I read it a couple of years ago because how did I get into that? How did I re- okay, so I was doing research for the gentleman. Ah, okay. And I wanted to find some Lovecraftian type books that that where I couldn't, I wouldn't have to support Lovecraft, mm-hmm. but something that was inspired by him because Lovecraft was considered well, not considered. He mm-hmm. was a racist. Yep. He was a bigot. I believe he was also a homophobe. And so I wanted gentlemen to represent like a subversion to his work and having Oliver, the main character, be both black and bisexual, sort of like an ultimate F you to him. Um, but in doing, trying to find works that was similar to what I wanted to do, I stumbled across Lovecraft Country and the Ballad of Black Tom by uh, Victor uh, Lavalle. And then uh, Matt Ruff uh, wrote Lovecraft Country. But I remember reading Lovecraft Country completely enamored. I was just like, whoa, this book is amazing. Each chapter focusing on the different black character and also dealing with the racism of the Jim Crow era, which I felt was just something that, that it, I just thought it was beautifully written. And I loved it. I loved everything about it. I've never read anything like it before. And I was actually quite surprised when I finished the book and I turned to the back page and realized, oh, shit, a white man wrote this? I did not see that coming <laughs> really? at all. Because I don't, here's the thing, when I buy a book, after I've done like, a little bit of research of what the synopsis, I will not look at the back because I don't want to be spoiled or hinted at what the heck I'm going to read. If someone yeah. recommends me a book, I will read it. I don't want to know anything else. So when I saw his face on the back cover, I was like, holy crap. 
<laughs> but the show, I feel the show has done an even better job with the story mm. because there are certain aspects and certain uh, Easter eggs that is very particular to black culture that no matter, I feel almost no matter what Matt Ruff has written, there's some essence that he probably wouldn't have captured unless he, you know, if he, if he, if he were black, he probably would have, you know, added a little couple of nuances. Mm -hmm. And I feel Misha Green has been doing a wonderful job with expanding the world that he created, adding so much more context of blackness and black history and things that we've gone through and black culture and black spirituality. I think if anything, it reinforces what I've been wanting to see when it comes to black uh, speculative fiction is growing up. I wanted to see more of this, of black people as the main characters of stories of, of horror, sci-fi fantasy. And I was never getting that. The only time I could remember is maybe like freaking vampire in Brooklyn and blade <laughs> and homeboy and out of space, which I freaking hated with a passion you know, but now we're getting to a point where there's people are experimenting more with seeing more black lead characters and not as side characters, not as the, the homie or the, the guest star. So seeing that and also showing the beauty of blackness, despite all the horror that's going on, I feel that is something that I love with the show and I think in that way, I connect to it, especially in terms of my own type of storytelling. And, and I think as, as a creator who, who is doing that in, in this space, I think it is not a, is a great testament to exactly what you want. You know, you're, you're putting out a work that is horror-focused, that is uh, focused around a, well, a spider, but a, uh, a Black youth who goes around, kicks ass, but at the, at the end of the day, the stories are, are inspired by, by the myth of uh, an entire collective, or, or, or rather the, the myths of a, a community. And, and I think that that is, for me, definitely one of the reasons why is not as, is, is a super powerful book and, and one that I have definitely been picking up. Um, I've also gotten the chance to read i think the last time we had met at near and near comic-con i got marasa and um i think the if i'm not mistaken the second issue had gotten kickstarted earlier this year is that right i lost track with this book man oh really i'll be honest with you i've lost track with this book (laughs) are are you are you still writing or is that is that a continuing story it's supposed to be oh okay supposed to be it's just a lot of red tape and drama okay behind the scenes as to what's going on with the production of this book but it is a project that i am extremely extremely proud of um so it breaks my heart that we're going through a lot of issues we're trying to get more of this out but it you know like you say it is supposed to be a, a celebration as well of um of blackness of what i wanted you know, doing a lot of sci- some crazy, funky sci-fi stuff with black spirituality is something that um, has been done. It's been done. There's a whole thing of Afrofuturism, uh, mm-hmm. but it's not something that I've ever really dabbled with. And I felt like I was doing a fun job, in my opinion, with that one. But- 
I thoroughly enjoyed it, and and uh, I thoroughly enjoy the work that you do on Isnana. Uh, I cannot wait for more. Uh, so once this is once the Kickstarter is wrapped up, you you basically have the book already, right? Like like the proof. This is this is it, and then like it it goes out to printers. Well, there's um. Did you read the the last one shot with John Henry and Rawhead? I have not, uh, but I, I I did see you got a couple of awards for it. Yeah. So. Um, the well in that book we got a sort of little an essay by John Jennings, who is a, a professor and a, a a huge member of the black indie community. Like he's just absolutely amazing, uh, done a lot of amazing work. And so I was very honored that he was able to write uh, an essay, sort of speaking about the themes that that particular is not a story covered. And I felt it was a nice little addition. Uh, to read. And so I'm waiting on a, a particular professor who's doing something on the themes of what this Showtime story has, oh. uh, has, you know, uh, showed and going, hopefully going into the history or at least the context of hip hop and break dancing and associate association to black culture as well. And so I wanted to, to add a, a bit more, more fluff for people to hopefully enjoy and take with it as well. So once I'm waiting on that, once I get that done, hopefully that will be all I need to send to the printers. And I'm hoping because I, I saved up a couple of dollars on my own. So what I'm hoping to do is when that's done, I can just send it to the printers before even everything is processed with the money for Kickstarter. That way I can at least start moving uh, copies out. That that's definitely one of the things that, that I appreciate is because um, a lot of the time I'll back a I'll back a Kickstarter and you know they're like they have like seven pages done um, and I, so I'm very appreciative for for this because you you essentially have it almost all the way there and uh, very excited for for that very excited for the the rest of the uh, uh, of the Kickstarter hopefully people continue to back and we definitely implore our listeners to wow literally. Uh, literally, I just refreshed the page. It went from 122 to 124. I mean, sorry, 423 to 424. So please continue to back this book. It is a great project. Um, Greg, I want to thank you. Uh, can you please li- leave the listeners with you know your your contact, Twitter, where they can reach you, any other information that you definitely want to uh, shout out? Um, yeah. Sure. You can find me at Greg Anderson Elise on Facebook. Uh, if you're curious about Is Nana at all, the books, the merchandise that we have, uh, type in the webway comics.ecw.com. That will take you to my web store. You can find me on Twitter as uh, Greg and Elise. So that's G R E G A N D E L Y S E E or Greg Day, D A E on IG. And um, if you want to check out Is Nana uh, Showtime, you can find the links on all my social media. I'm posting all the time about them. Or you can just go on Google and type in Is Nana the Where Spider Showtime. It should be the very first link that shows up. And I definitely implore you guys to just type in Is Nana the Where Spider. Pick up those books. It's really great stuff from an artistic perspective, from a writing perspective. And I'm not saying that to flatter you because it definitely gave you shit on that first issue. But um yeah man thank you so much i really appreciate hopping on 
And uh, for anybody else who wants to listen to either more of these kind of interviews, our weekly show that we do, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at The Comics Pals. You can send us an email, thecomicspals at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on YouTube and join our Discord. We have a lot of great conversations. And if you want to learn more about, you know, these kind of indie books, I love following Kickstarters. So I'm definitely posting a bunch in there. And if you just want to have hang out with people who like comics, anime, wrestling, come join me.